It's been estimated that more than 37 million Americans are affected by sinusitis every year. Could you be one of them? Signs and symptoms often include fever, headache, swelling of the nasal passages, tenderness over the sinuses, nasal congestion, and bad breath. Conventional approaches to these frustrations often include interventions like medications, which are decongestants, analgesics, antibiotics, antihistamines, anti-inflammatories, and even steroids. While these interventions often do provide some relief, they may not actually correct the root cause of the repetitive and annoying problems. A landmark 1999 Mayo Clinic study of patients with chronic sinusitis revealed that more than 96% of them not only had bacterial, but had fungal and viral infections as well. When you look a little closer, this actually makes sense. Many patients with sinus infections are given what? Antibiotics, which are used to wipe out bad bacteria, but they have the unwanted side effects of wiping out good bacteria as well. And without the good bacteria to keep things in balance, what likes to grow in deep, dark, moist cavities like the sinuses? You got that right, yeast. Therefore, it can be difficult to truly get rid of sinus infections until you treat the yeast, fungus, whatever words you wanna use. If you can relate to this scenario, it might be time to consider an integrative approach to solving the problem. Integrative medicine combines conventional medicine with complementary and alternative medicine, which patients feel provides them with the most comprehensive care. When it comes to sinusitis, an integrative approach incorporates natural antibacterials, antivirals, and antifungals to truly get to the root cause of the problem. Speaking of getting to the root cause of the problem, since many cases of sinusitis also stem from allergies, part of preventing these cases of sinusitis involves preventing the allergic response. I recommend two different products to help you with allergies and sinus issues this year. First, Seasonal Assist. Seasonal Assist contains quercetin, which is an antioxidant and flavonoid found in many plants like onions. It has anti-inflammatory properties and blocks the Cox and Lox enzymes like other anti-inflammatories would, but most importantly, it's a mast cell stabilizer. In other words, it prevents your mast cells from exploding, creating that allergenic cascade of itchy eyes and runny nose. Taking this can prevent those allergies, but you have to follow instructions on the label and load up and have enough in your system before allergy season for best results. Secondly, our sinus support product provides a four-pronged approach for your health. It contains the following four prongs. Number one, berberine and thyme are natural antifungals to hit that fungus that the Mayo Clinic found. Number two, N-acetylcysteine or NAC is a natural mucolytic, kind of like mucinex, to thin your secretions so that you can get them out. Number three, turmeric is a natural anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen to open up your airways. And number four, lastly, it also contains herbal immune boosters like Leuterococcus, which is Siberian ginseng and Andrographis. The dose of this product is three per day when you start to feel congestion or when you think you might be getting a cold or sinus infection, and it's typically taken for about a week. By using these two products, seasonal assist and sinus support, many of my patients are able to avoid use of antibiotics, preserving the good bacteria in their systems. Consider this to be one more way for you to be proactive instead of reactive when it comes to your health, something you know that's important to me if you listen to this show for long. As always, consult with your healthcare provider on the products you take and consider a consult with an integrative healthcare provider who may be able to better help you resolve your issues so you can enjoy all of the seasons. Use code SINUS for 10% off our seasonal assist or sinus support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. The functionality of each individual microbe is critically important. It's not just about numbers. It's always been about the specific capability of the microbe. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. 
My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Karan Krishnan, who is the founder of Microbiome Labs. This is part one of a two-part series. I'm telling you, this guy is a pure genius. He's unpacking so much in these episodes. In part one, he provides in-depth examples of why gut health translates into full body health. He unpacks what spore-based probiotics are, where they come from, and he shares about psychobiotics for mental health. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Karan Krishnan, who is trained as a research microbiologist. He left academic research to help bridge the translational gap between research and commercial innovation. He's held leadership roles in international health and wellness companies. He has also founded and scaled research and technology development companies, including, most recently, Microbiome Labs, the preeminent microbiome therapeutics company in the U.S. integrated medicine market. Karan has published numerous studies in peer-reviewed scientific journals and holds international patents in his name. Karan is a frequent lecturer at nutritional and medical conferences, and he is a sought-after expert on human microbiome for health programs. Karan is currently the general manager of Novozymes, One Health North America, and is a science advisor to five other companies in this market. Hopefully I pronounced those all right. Welcome, Karan. Thank you so much for having me. You pronounce all of it perfectly, so thank you. Well, thank you. In chapter one of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I'm comparing the foundation of the home to the gastrointestinal system in the body. And I'm sure you would agree that the gut is our foundation of health. And so today's show, I really want to focus on that, improving gut health or whole body health. So tell us your story kind of before we get into that. Specifically, why did you start Microbiome Labs? Yeah, I've always been a, a bit of a megalomaniacal thinker, right? Just always thinking big in terms of anything I'm interested in. And so I've always been a big science nerd as well. I've had a deep curiosity to understand the world that that surrounds me and the way things work. And so science, going into the science was a very natural reflex for me. My parents are both scientists in in one way or the other. My dad is a microelectronics engineer. My mom's a medical doctor. Um, you know, no so, pressure. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> pressure. My dad, as it turned out, had uh, over 200 US patents in his name. So almost wow. anything electronic you have, he's invented something in it. You know, so it's so he's got that kind of hard science, mathematical, innovative thinking. My mom has a soft science, a biological side, the clinical thinking. And I feel like I got a little bit of both. And uh, I, I like thinking out of the box. I like systems biology, same similar to en- an engineering view on things. But then I, I'm very clinically oriented because I'm very keen on impacting people. And that's why I left academic research and all that to do what we do, we uh, we started Microbiome Labs purely because there was so much happening in the world of the microbiome. And there were things that were being discovered that are so, that could be so impactful to humanity. But what tends to happen in academic research is that most of the research just carries on for research sake and goes goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the subject. Not a lot of it gets translated into things that actually impact people's lives. Like clinical practice and how do yeah, how do I apply that as a provider? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that that's actually called a translational gap in science. You know, because research and academic and research institutes are done for research sake. And then there's some companies and some people that come along that bridge that gap by taking understandings and technologies and creating real world tools and products out of it. Microbiome Labs existed for that reason because of my megalomaniacal thinking. My view of being able to help large masses of people was about modulating their guts. 
And if you can modulate the gut in the right way, you can help tons and you know thousands upon thousands of people in a relatively short time. So that's where that's where we started. It kind of leads to my next question because I kind of want you and your words to explain what the gut brain immune connection is. Like, why does gut health matter? When you're saying I can impact thousands, millions of people by improving their gut health, how, why? Can you kind of share with our listeners, break that down more simply? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of different perspectives on this, right? And I'll give you the first and, and the most kind of one dimensional perspective, which is correct, but it's that it goes deeper than that. So number one, it's the gut being the digestive system, right? That's where we break down and assimilate and utilize nutrients that are coming into the body. There's very few nutrients that are produced outside of the gut. You know, vitamin D is a good example of that. That's through the skin, right? But there's very few essential nutrients and all that that are produced outside of the gut. So at the most fundamental level, you need a healthy gut to be able to access nutrients from food and then feed the rest of the body these critical nutrients. That's the most one-dimensional way of looking at it. Here's a more the more three-dimensional and four-dimensional way of looking at it that actually is much more profound, right? Number one is the microbes in the gut constitute the largest component of our genetic capability, right? We have 150 times more microbial genes in our body than we have human genes, and and our human genes are wholly inadequate to function, right? We have somewhere around 22,000 functional genes, which sounds like a lot if you don't know about genetics, but an earthworm has about 22 or 23,000 functional genes, right? So we're not that much more sophisticated than an earthworm when it comes to our own capabilities. And yet, in your gut, you've got over two and a half million microbial genes, in the system. So you have 150 plus times more microbial DNA in your system. And that DNA codes for proteins and enzymes and peptides and all these things that we need to function to be human. So our gut is the largest reservoir of capability of being human. And this is the treasure trove, right? This is what our ancestors went through hell for to preserve and build to pass on, pass on to us that we are stewards of and we're harboring this amazing ecosystem that over hundreds of thousands of years we've developed a symbiotic relationship with, right? And a, uh, a mutualistic relationship with that provides us functionality. We now know you can look at even at the, at the lowest estimate. If you pull out a sample of your blood right now and you look at all the compounds that are in your blood that are important for cellular function and immune function and brain function and all that, more than 50% of those compounds are derived only from the microbiome, right? Meaning you can't get them from food. We can't make it ourselves. We can only make it in the gut microbiome. And if you don't have the organisms, in the gut that make that compound, then you're in trouble. You lose that functionality. Can you give an example of one of those? Yeah, absolutely. So the most basic one is uh, something called short-chain fatty acids. So butyrate, propionate, acetate. Uh, those are the most well-known short-chain fatty acids. Let's just take butyrate as one of them as an example. If you don't have enough microbes in your gut that make butyrate for you, then some of the things that start to get dismantled in your gut are your metabolic response to food, right? So for example, when you eat food, and uh, one of the key things that's supposed to happen is the food starts getting metabolized in your gut, and some of the microbes metabolize components of the food, like the carbohydrate components, and produce butyrate. 
The butyrate binds receptors in the lining of your large bowel, and the binding of those receptors sends a signal to your brain that says, stop producing the hunger hormone, we've got enough food, start producing the satiety hormone called leptin, right? So now you're done with food, you can go, okay, I'm, I'm satiated, I'm finished eating. And at the same time, that signal binding of the butyrate to the cell, the receptors in the gut are also turning on metabolic pathways like cyclic AMP, which actually stimulate all the cells in your body to start burning fat for fuel, right? And and they start uh, telling your, your, uh, your brain to start reading the blood sugar levels and controlling blood sugars by balancing insulin and glucagon and so on. So all of the metabolic processes that are supposed to happen in your body in response to food is dependent on the production of butyrate. And if you don't have butyrate, being produced adequately, what happens is you get something called leptin resistance, which leads to obesity. You get insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. And then both of those things lead to chronic low-grade inflammation, which leads to hypertension, heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, everything else, all from not having enough butyrate in the system. So that's just one example. Another great example, something called urolithins. Urolithins are these very unique compounds that actually help turn over dysfunctional mitochondria in your cells, right? So all the cells in your body have these little engines in them called mitochondria, except for your red blood cells. Of course, they don't have mitochondria. They have hemoglobin to bind oxygen. But outside of that, every other cell in your body has mitochondria. And depending on the cell, it can have anywhere from, you know, a few hundred mitochondria to a couple million mitochondria. Right? If it's your heart cell, for example, or your, your glutes or your quads, these big muscles that have a lot of energy demand, or your brain cells, you're going to have a lot of mitochondria because those cells demand a lot of energy. The mitochondria is what produces ATP, which is the energy source, right? One of the most clear definitions of aging, and, and this program being the, the longevity program, right? This becomes really critical to your audience. The, one of the most clear definitions of aging is something called the mitochondrial free radical theory of aging, which shows that age is defined at the cellular level by a, by the number of dysfunctional mitochondria in your cells. If those engines in your cells start to break down and they used to produce 27 ATP from one glucose molecule and now they're producing 14, the functionality of that cell becomes compromised. The organ that the cell makes up becomes compromised. Eventually, both die off. And that's where you get degenerative conditions, which is what aging is, right? Degeneration in your skin looks like wrinkling and softening of the skin. Degeneration in your liver means you're not producing enough bile and you can't, you know, digest food and absorb fat soluble. Degeneration in your heart means your cardiac output is going down. That means your heart can't pump enough blood to your system. All that is aging. Degeneration in the brain means your memory slows down, your capabilities slow down, right? All that is defined by the mitochondria being compromised, the cells dying, and thereby the organ system dying. Now, we have a system to regenerate the mitochondria, to fix the broken engines, and that requires this compound called urolithin A. The thing is, we can't make urolithin A. We can't get it from food. So where in the world does urolithin A come from? This critical compound that fixes the engines of our cells, it comes from certain microbes in your gut converting polyphenols into urolithin A. We've outsourced that absolutely critical function for survival to microbes in the system. 
And it's mind boggling when you think about it. But if you think about evolutionary biology and the fact that we only have around 22,000 genes, you start to understand that, okay, we can't, we don't have the capacity to do half the things we need to do to be human. So we have to outsource that, those functionalities to our ecosystem, our microbes. And that was a critical part of the development of mammals was the incorporation of a large number of fermentive microbes in the digestive tract. And that became a key step in us moving up the evolutionary ladder and up the uh, food chain because that allowed us capabilities and resilience that most other animals in the animal kingdom did not have. So that's why the gut is so important. Yeah, long, awesome answer. But we need short-chain fatty acids. We need butyrate. We need this urolithin A from polyphenols, it sounds like. is Did I hear you right? That that we convert? Okay, let's simplify things for just a moment, or maybe we're not going to simplify things. Let's talk about probiotics. So can you expose some myths? Most of the listeners have heard of pro and prebiotics, but can you expose some myths kind of surrounding traditional probiotics? And I know a highlight of your company is spore-based probiotics. So can you kind of differentiate the two and kind of explain when we should use spores, if there's any times we shouldn't use spore-based probiotics, just kind of go down that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest misnomers about probiotics is that it's just the more is better, right? More strains, more CFU Mm -hmm. counts. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. why I started seeing the industry going where they're going 50 billion, 100 billion, 200 billion. And in fact, there's zero science behind any of that. There are many, many, many cases where a single well-researched strain that does something specific is going to be far more powerful for your system than 15 strains that you don't really know what they do, let alone know what they do in context of one another. Development of probiotics have occurred in kind of a vacuum of information where the idea is that let's just throw as many things together as we can, and the volume is the key when it's not. What we've come to know as we got more sophisticated in researching probiotics and understanding what these microbes do, you come to figure out that the functionality of each individual microbe is critically important when you're thinking about formulating a probiotic. It's not just about numbers. It's never actually been about numbers. It's always been about the specific capability of the microbe. Now, the numbers game can actually be a detriment. There's something we've been discovering over the last year and a half in the in the research we're doing with the APC, which is the biggest microbiome research institute in the world and uh, that's based in Cork, Ireland. There's this concept that microbes, that probiotic microbes are either quiet or they're loud. And what I mean by that is it's quiet or loud in context of your immune system. And what we're finding out is that the vast majority of, of conventional probiotic strains we're testing amplify inflammatory responses in your immune system. And, and it makes sense because you think about the vast majority of probiotics people have access to, none of those strains are native to your system, which means that if you consume them, your body recognizes them as foreign. And because it recognizes them as foreign, your immune system is going to mount a response against them when they come in. And the response is going to be bigger the more of those strains there are, right? So the 100 billion CFU probiotic product is going to elicit a bigger immunological response than a 10 billion CFU probiotic. The thing is, the innate immune system is the first part that responds. And the innate immune system upregulates inflammation. So you can actually measure and see each of these strains when you introduce it to the system, inflammation goes up. Now, In a healthy individual, if you're perfectly healthy and all you're trying to do is stimulate your immune system a little bit, you know, it's cold and flu season and you're like, I want to irritate my immune system so they're more active in case I encounter the cold or flu virus or whatever, 
that kind of approach may be fine because what you're doing is you're amplifying immune response, but you're amplifying an inflammatory response. If your condition is that you are already inflamed, meaning you have a primary gut issue, an immune issues, autoimmunity, you have obesity, you have diabetes, you have uh, IBS or SIBO, any of those things, the last thing you want to do is amplify inflammatory responses. So getting into that kind of specifics, into the functionality of the strains, becomes incredibly important for how you use probiotics. And that hasn't happened at all for the vast majority of the industry. And so I would distinguish probiotics more so, not as much between spores and non-spores, and I'll talk about why spores are so uh, useful, but I would, I would the bigger distinction is researched and non-researched probiotics. Because that is really the key. You know, like if you don't have studies on this 15 strain combo, you have no idea what that's doing in the body. And we know that many of these strains can cancel each other out or, in fact, be antagonistic to one another. We saw that in a study we did. We have a bifidolongum strain that's in our product called Zenbiome. This strain is incredibly powerful, has eight published studies on it, right? And we show that it dramatically reduces stress. It dramatically reduces cortisol response when you encounter a stress a stressor. It dramatically improves uh, sleep. It changes I, I need this. Big, I just right? got an email about this product. <laughs> oh my God, it makes such a difference, right? It changes brainwave activity where it puts you more in a theta wave band, which is the meditative state. When you encounter a stressful situation, right? It's a phenomenal strain and it's so powerful. It, the, what, what makes it so unique and why it's not loud to your immune system is because it's got this exopolysaccharide covering to it. The exopolysaccharide covering actually gives it a recognition by dendritic cells that'll actually engulf it in your gut. And then it'll metabolize part of the strain and spit out something called peptidoglycan. And it's these little peptidoglycans that modulate all the inflammatory response, the cortisol response, and all from stress and anxiety. That's We have depression studies, low mood studies, anxiety, stress-induced studies, and so on. And it's so powerful. We mix this strain with one other bifidobacterium strain, a commonly used probiotic strain, and it knocked out the activity of the, of the EPS strain. You would think, oh, we'll just mix more bifido and more right, bifido. Right. They're all good for you, right? And it's better to have more. Nope. In fact, when we added other strains to it, it completely knocked out the strains activity, right? That's so interesting, so yeah. People don't look at that stuff because companies aren't doing the research. Megaspore contains spores of the bacterium bacillus species. When these spores are ingested, they're able to sense the environment of the gut through chemical signaling molecules. Once they reach a critical mass, they activate a process known as quorum sensing, which allows them to communicate with one another and coordinate their actions. Through this quorum sensing process, the megaspore probiotics are able to modulate the gut microbiome, supporting the growth of beneficial bacteria and reducing the population of harmful bacteria. This can lead to improved digestion, better immune function, and a range of other health benefits. Overall, megaspore works again via quorum sensing by allowing the spores to communicate with one another and modulate the gut microbiome, leading to improved health outcomes. We carry megaspore at the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic and happily can ship near worldwide. Can you say what strain this is again? I missed that. So this Zenbiome yeah. is the name of the product. And which bifido, what, which strain is this? It's called Bifidolongum 1714. 
So would you, is that a psychobiotic then? It's a psychobiotic, yeah. Okay. I, I like I like the gesture with that. It is a psychobiotic, <laughs> yeah. And I love that term. In fact, the researcher and the clinician that came up with that term, his name is Ted Dynan. He's a, uh, he's a psychiatrist, but probably one of the most innovative gut-brain researchers in the world, one of the most uh, celebrated and published. And he works with us. He developed this strain with us. He came up with that term psychobiotic, but it's a very, very powerful strain. And when you think about how it impacts our ability to modulate stress, you start to see that in certain cultures and certain types of groups of people that are living more native lifestyles than we do, they tend to have high levels of these types of organisms in their gut because they live a lifestyle that is actually more uh, risky than we do. We have abundance of food. We don't have predators chasing us. We still have hunter-gatherer tribes in you know Papua New Guinea and and in uh, in Tanzania and in the Amazon that live a life where they could be eaten by a predator. They have to go hunt and forage and gather food on a regular basis. And these types of, uh, of groups of people have very high levels of these types of protective psychobiotic strains because it's key to be able to modulate stress response in these environments, right? That's really cool. Yeah. And we've largely lost it. This is why a single stressor first thing in the morning, for example, can keep you at an elevated anxious state throughout the day because you will go through this elevation of the fight or flight response from that external stressor, but it becomes really hard to come down from it because you don't have enough of these microbes in your gut. These microbes are the things that bring you down from the flight or fight response. That's an example of a well-studied, well-understood and characterized probiotic. And with this probiotic bacteria, I would use it just by itself because there's no benefit to adding a bunch of other stuff to it, like other strains, I mean, to it, because it by itself is so powerful. And so that's where the research comes in. Now, let's talk momentarily about spores. So why we went to bacterial spores is because what we were trying to do is mimic our interaction with microbes in the natural environment. If you got a uh, a probiotic product, and, and I looked at a lot of these and we studied, we tested a lot of these uh, products, the common ones you see in, you know, even sold through the practitioner marketplace. You know, you take one of these, it's, it's 50 billion CFUs, it's got 15 strains in it. My question was always, where in nature do we encounter this on a regular basis, right? Is this a natural type of exposure? And if it's not a natural type of exposure, then you have to understand and believe that your body's not going to react naturally to it. The reaction and response to 50 billion of these strains coming in at once is going to be an unnatural response. And that unnatural response is likely not going to be favorable over time. And so, and we saw that, and we see that now through the inflammatory responses that you get from certain probiotics. So we said, okay, what is our natural relationship with bacteria? So once we're born, right, in in utero, we get some exposure to microbes. Once we're born, we get a huge inoculum through the vaginal canal. Hopefully, if you came out of the vagina, if you didn't, then, of course, you're already on the back foot, right, because you didn't get that large exposure when during birth. And then breastfeeding, breast milk contains lots of different microbes, skin-to-skin contact early on with mom and dad. Uh, And then from that point on, it's the environment, right? The environment is where we encounter the vast majority of microbes. Now, most microbes in the environment aren't going to function as probiotics because they're going to die in your mouth, in your in your in your uh, upper uh, gastric system, or even in your small bowel. Right, bile acids and so on will kill them. But as it turns out, there are some microbes that live in the, that exist in the environment. They don't live in the environment; they exist in the environment, 
that can actually survive through this antibacterial gauntlet that we have in our system to make it to the intestines alive. The ability to do that is a very unique ability for these microbes. This is an ability that nature has provided these microbes for a reason. So we started looking at these microbes and what they actually do. As it turns out, they are incredibly protective of the microbiome. One of the key things that the spores do, which is why I love them, they're so fascinating to me, is they go into the gut and then they do quorum sensing, which means that they read all the microbial signatures and they can identify pathogenic or dysfunctional organisms. And when they identify these organisms, they'll actually sit next to them and bring down their levels. Then they can actually produce compounds to grow your good and beneficial organisms. So they can completely modulate your microbiome in a way that even we can't do it. That's another exercise and a very important exercise that we have outsourced to uh, microbes in the environment and our microbiome that we can't do ourselves. So we're doing that. That's happening constantly in your gut if you gain exposure to these microbes. So that's just one functionality of spores that I really like that's completely different from most other probiotic bacteria. And is it true that spores can kind of change the terrain in the gut versus other organisms that last maybe maybe one to two weeks and then are gone? They do, absolutely. And they change the terrain in a few different ways. Number one, because they can modulate immune response against other microbes, right? For example, they can identify a pathogenic or problematic organism in your gut microbiome. They can sit next to that organism and actually flag your immune system to recognize and deal with this organism. Then your immune system can produce antibodies like secretory IgA, for example, or antimicrobials against that organism to control the growth of that problematic organism in your terrain. They can also produce compounds themselves that target uh, certain organisms and they modulate certain aspects of your immune response, especially something called toll-like receptors. Toll-like receptors are these receptors on your intestinal epithelium cells and your immune cells that help these cells identify problematic organisms. Right. So they're increasing the monitoring. They're increasing the scope and the understanding of the microbial environment for your own intestinal lining cells and your immune cells. And they're directly impacting the presence of pathogens. I'll give you one one cool example of that. We did a study. Uh, with Cleveland Clinic on C. diff infection, right? And we know that C. diff is a very difficult pathogen once it's established itself. People go through multiple rounds of antibiotics and have bloody diarrhea and all kinds of messy things. We started looking at whether or not our spores and megaspore can actually identify the presence of C. diff bacteria and what they do about it. And so sure enough, we with the, in the study, we saw that the spores in megaspore can identify C. diff in the gut. So you have these areas of infection of C. diff. Our spores can actually figure out where the C. diff is and go to it. Now, Clostridium is a spore bacteria as well. So normally our, our uh, bacillus spores will make antimicrobials to bring down the growth of these problematic organisms. But the Clostridium is probably more resistant to that than other organisms because it's ability to form spores. And so the, the bacillus have found a new mechanism to go after them. And this is the fascinating part about it, right? They surround the clostridium and then they produce chelating agents to steal minerals away from the clostridia, especially iron. Clostridia and many pathogens require iron 
in order to stimulate their metabolic functionality and produce toxins, which is what they do. This is why bloody diarrhea exists with Clostridium infection is because they're eating past the mucosa to try to get to the blood supply. And they're making, they're causing bleeding in the gut for that reason. So these spores are so intelligent that they sit around it and they chelate the iron away from the Clostridia and starve it to death. It's fascinating, mind-blowing, right? This is nature at its finest. You know, if you gave me all the money in the world and the smartest scientists, in a hundred years, we couldn't design a microbe that does that, right? This is uh, an illustration of how amazing and, and complex nature is. We just have to be smart enough to know it's happening and, and take advantage of it, right? We can't engineer this. So since we're not engineering this, where are these coming from? And just for the listeners, I just want to point out. So again, mega spore biotic is kind of your main probiotic that is spore based. So when you're referring to the bacillus strains, so those are the strains in specific product from microbiome labs, just trying to clarify this because it can be kind of confusing. But where do the spores come from? Like, what's the source? So they were they were originally isolated from healthy human volunteers. We were looking for, actually, we didn't do this work. This was done by Royal Holloway University of London, preeminent researchers in the spore world. They were looking for human-derived bacillus endospores, right? Because you can find bacillus endospores everywhere. They're ubiquitous in the environment. You find ones that are specialized to live in the ocean or specialized to live in certain types of soil and so on. But we wanted to find the gut-derived ones because they have special qualities with colonization and understanding the gut microbiome. They started sampling lots of different stool and taking um, actual samples from the mucosa and isolating the spores to figure out which kind of organisms lived in there, what were the healthy versions of spores. And so they isolated these 15, 20 years ago, probably closer to 20 years ago. Once they've isolated the strains from from, uh, the source, then they go through and they study them genetically to understand what they do, all the capabilities. Do they have toxin genes? Do they have antibiotic resistance genes? All these things. And then once they characterize and, and, and properly isolate the organism, then they start studying them for functionality, which is where we came in and we started, uh, licensing those strains from the university. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll do the clinical work on them to see what they do in the body, actually, and how they react with the microbiome and so on. And so that's where we started building the work. Now, where they're derived from now, we have the original cultures, but we do fermentation. So we grow the cultures, you know, we use a chickpea flour as a base with amino acids and proteins and all that stuff. Uh, and it's a giant fermentation tank, like beer or wine, you know, of course, without yeast. In this case, it's bacteria. So we do, we take a tiny bit from the original seed culture that was, uh, that was isolated. And then we inoculate a, a small flask. We grow it up. Then we take that flask and inoculate a bigger flask, grow it up. And then you finally put it in the big, 10,000 liter tank, and then you grow up a lot of these spores. And then when you get to a certain density of growth, you stop the growth, you shock them to go into the spore form because spore bacteria in their spore form are extremely robust, right? They can survive in the capsule for 10 years, a million years, actually. It doesn't matter. The oldest spore that's ever been found is two, was 250 million years old. It was in uh, salt crystals in a cave in Southern California. And researchers have been going into caves, looking at areas that untouched by man, right? Because they're trying to find new antibiotics, right? Most antibiotics, all antibiotics come from microbes. So they're trying to find new ways of developing antibiotics. 
They're going to caves, taking samples. They find these crystals that they dissolve the crystals, and in them are bacillus endospores, still alive, and they were 250 million years old, sitting there, just in the spore form, just waiting for the right environment to come out of the spore form. And so they can sit there indefinitely. They can survive through the gastric system in the spore form. And then when they get into the small intestine, they do like this little molecular handshake with the lining of your gut. They now know they're back in the gut, which is their natural home. And then that breaks them out of the spore state and they become like a regular functioning bacteria. Very cool. You might not know this, but building a healthy gut or a gastrointestinal system is one of the most important things you should be working on to maintain your health and longevity. That's why actually in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I devote the entire first chapter to the gut. I like to compare the gut or gastrointestinal system to the foundation of your home. You have to have a strong gastrointestinal system upon which to build great health. So with that in mind, I want to share a few tips to help you do just that. The first step with improving your gut health is to clean up your diet, removing inflammatory foods, foods you may have sensitivities towards, and treating gut infections. Like I mentioned, I get into this in a lot more depth in chapter one of my book. Once you've done that, however, there are also some amazing nutrients that exist to help you heal further. Two of my favorite Your Longevity Blueprint combination powder products for helping patients heal their guts are called Gut Shield and GI Support. Gut Shield contains several important ingredients, including glutamine and zinc. Glutamine is the most important non-essential amino acid for gut healing, and zinc is a top mineral for gut healing as well. Gut Shield also contains N-acetyl-D-glucosamine and aloe vera. N-acetyl-D-glucosamine is a mucin precursor that has been shown to increase the production of mucus within the GI tract. This is beneficial in coating the tract and protecting it. Gut Shield also contains deglycerized licorice root extract, also known as DGL, a form of licorice root that does not contain glycerizin, which can raise blood pressure. Licorice has been known to treat and heal ulcers. It works as a demulcent to soothe the irritated tissue. It's antispasmodic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-allergenic. Aloe vera has been used throughout history to promote a normal inflammatory response. You may have used it on your cuts, scrapes, or burns as a child. Studies have shown that aloe vera is also specifically beneficial to the gastric mucosa, in part through its ability to balance stomach acid levels and promote healthy mucus production. All these gut healing nutrients are packed into one little scoop of powder that can be added to a beverage of your choice or mixed into a smoothie. I recommend patients consume this consistently for at least three months for gut healing. My second favorite product for gut healing is called GI Support, a gut healing protein powder containing glutamine as well. The difference here is that GI Support is also loaded with natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric. It also contains arabinogalactins, which serve as prebiotic fiber. And it contains green tea extract, also known as EGCG, a potent antioxidant that further helps to reduce inflammation. It's the Cadillac of gut healing powders because it has protein, the amino acid glutamine, prebiotics, anti-inflammatories, and antioxidants all in one scoop. And yes, it can be combined with Gut Shield. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily while focusing on cleaner eating. These products aren't needed forever, but they sure help expedite the healing process of your gut lining. Check out more product information on our website and use code HEALGUT for 10% off either product. That's Gut Shield or GI Support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the show. So is this a product that you would recommend just to the average listener, like as a, a daily sort of probiotic? Yes, for a couple of reasons. So number one, when we started the company, you know, again, my big thinking was like, what do we want to solve? What's the biggest problem we want to solve? And what we wanted to solve right off the bat was leaky gut. 
because intestinal permeability is the biggest driver of chronic low-grade inflammation, which then is the biggest driver of chronic disease. And, and in fact, a 2015 meta-analysis paper, which means it's a, a study of a lot of studies in the on the topic, so it's a conclusive study on the scientific consensus on a topic, they concluded that leakiness in the gut and the translocation of toxins, meaning the to- movement of toxins from the lining of the gut into circulation, was the number one driver of mortality and morbidity worldwide. It's the number one killer. Leaky gut is the number one killer worldwide because it's the foundation for the vast majority of chronic illnesses. So when we saw that, we said, okay, we need to solve this as a problem, and microbes are going to be the solution because it's microbes that maintain the lining of the gut. We don't do a whole lot ourselves to maintain the lining of the gut. We outsource that. Another example of outsourcing things to the microbes that live in the environment. And as it turns out, in the world of veterinary medicine, they've been focusing on leaky gut for almost 60 years. And they do it in the context of of farmed animals and so on because they get sick and they die. And a high mortality rate in a chicken farm is a really bad economic thing. And so they've been investing a lot of research to understand why the animals are getting sick, what's compromising their growth, why their immune systems are so weak. Of course, the horrific conditions in which they're, they're being housed is a big driver, but they're trying to figure out what about the horrific condition changes the physiology the physiology of the animal. What they're finding in these animals is that all of these conditions create leakiness in the gut. Their exposure to antibiotics, because animals are fed all kinds of antibiotics and vaccines and so on, the poor quality feed that they get, the toxic environment that they're in, in a hen house or chicken house, for example, is ammonia everywhere, you know, from the chicken farts and everything. I mean, building of ammonia in a grow house in a chicken is a is an absolute disaster because it can actually explode the entire building. That's how much ammonia is built in that environment. They've been trying to figure out all this toxicity in the environment. What does it do? It actually creates leaky gut. Leaky gut makes the animal sick and weak, and then animal dies. And so they've been using probiotics in the veterinary space to alleviate leaky gut for almost 40 years now. And they can they can dramatically reduce the mortality rate despite being in those toxic environments. Now, that's not dissimilar from us. We use antibiotics a lot not only directly, but also through our foods, right? We live in toxic environments. We have uh, gases and, and uh, you know, uh, carbons and all these uh, glues and all these off-gassing that occurs from all the things around us. We're surrounded by, you know, um, uh, electromagnetic flux and so on. We eat really poor quality food and everything around us is re- actually very similar to those farmed animals. And we have leaky gut as a result. And that becomes the biggest driver. So we looked at the analogies there and we looked at the types of strains. And that's where we came up with another reason why the spores became so important is because they've been using spores in that environment to alleviate leaky gut for like 50 years. So we said human-derived spores may do the same thing in humans. And sure enough, we we published our first paper in 2017 showing that, yes, megaspore and the specific spores in megaspore absolutely do alleviate leaky gut in as little as 30 days. So that so that became the important part. And that's why spores are so different in that way. They're the only microbes that can do that. Now, I also want to clarify one thing. Not all spores are also created equal. Right, You're starting to see other spore-based probiotics coming out. When we first started, there was not a single spore-based probiotic on the marketplace. We created this genre of probiotics. Now, because like in the supplement industry, it's a very much a copycat industry. And when companies see something is growing and, and demand for it is growing, 
they kind of jump in and try to do an imitation version of it. So now there are companies that are just calling any distributor buying uh, spore bacteria and throwing it together again, again, without doing any research. You have no idea if those spores actually colonize. Can they do quorum sensing? What do they do to the immune system? How do they impact the microbiome? They're not all created equal. A 1% difference in the genetic capability of the spore will completely change its functionality. I'll give you an example. Remember that bifidobacteria we talked about, the 1714 strain with that EPS coating and how it has all of these fascinating gut-brain impacts. And then we tested it with other bifidobacterium longum strains. And we saw that actually when you mix them, it actually knocks out the activity. And these strains that don't have the EPS don't have any of those functionalities. The genetic difference between these two strains is one gene. One gene difference makes this strain super powerful for modulating anxiety, stress, sleep, and all of that, gut-brain neurological inflammation. We didn't even talk about neuroinflammation, but all the neurological inflammatory conditions that this strain helps with, all of those powerful things because of one gene difference to this species that doesn't do any of that, right? So microbes can be profoundly different from one another due to very, very small differences in change in genetics. And so that's another reason why utilization of probiotics or microbes requires a good amount of research to understand what the microbes actually do. I could listen to him all day. I learned so much from part one. I think he's convinced me on why specific spores are so important. I'll definitely be starting that Zen biome as well. Next week in part two, he will discuss SIBO, mention what ghost or postbiotics are, share how the FODMATE enzyme works, talk about immunoglobulins, and even probiotics for dogs. Remember, we carry all the microbiome lab products he mentions in these episodes, so stop on in to the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic to check them out. See you next week. You won't want to miss part two. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and remember... Wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.